All I can say is, well done. Well done. Choir's back on. And if you've been considering uh, being part of that, Pastor Weiler and the crew gets together on Wednesday evenings after adult uh, or after the discipleship groups. What an encouragement. Thank you, everyone involved with the choir. Today we're going to conclude chapter 16 of Luke. And uh, since it's been a couple weeks since I read this entire passage, I'm going to begin just by reading that last part, beginning in about verse 27, so we can refresh our memories. I remain surprised as I look at this, just the continued deference that this rich man gives or shows towards Abraham, you know, as if Abraham could do anything for him, right? Uh, Remember, you know, Abraham is, is no more or less a sinner saved by grace as any of the rest of us. He, he is just a man. Uh, he wields no more power than Lazarus or anyone else who would have died by this time. But the rich man's faith had been, had been fixated on, on a mere man, Abraham, uh, for so long, his entire life, he can't adjust now. Um, it is, it's crystal clear that this man has never had a relationship with God. Never has. Uh, this would surely magnify uh, the experience in hell, the excruciating experience in hell. When, when a person finally realizes, after their entire life, uh, an entire life of acting religious, behaving as a religious person, they actually had no genuine relationship at all with the Lord, and now never will. Beginning in verse 27, And the rich man said, Then I I beg you, Father Abraham, that you send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But Abraham said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Well, as I alluded to last week, I personally take the story to be a parable rather than a verbatim dialogue. uh, A dialogue that would have suggested that Abraham would be able to field questions from millions of people who would have been in, in Hades at this time awaiting their final judgment. I shared a few other reasons why I see it as a parable last week. You can find those online if you, if you missed last week. But the discourse between this rich man and Abraham seems to be fashioned to benefit the listeners to Jesus, to the Pharisees who were hearing Jesus, rather than the words of someone who, uh, the first words of someone who is in hell. Uh, parable or historic event, good Christians over time have believed both ways. You're free to uh, believe as you find scriptural merit on that because the truth contained is the same either way. That doesn't change. The rich man is indicative of a Pharisee. His five brothers represent other Pharisees. They have throughout their lives misplaced their faith having rested in the fact that they were descendants of Abraham. That's where their hope was. That's where their faith 
wise. Uh, even in Hades, the man still cries out to Abraham rather than to God for mercy. And he finds then that Abraham is powerless to do anything. Abraham cannot show mercy on him. So resigned to the fact that now his fate will never change, the man asks Abraham to send Lazarus back. Warn my brothers that they might not come to this just, just awful place of torment where he is in agony. Places called Hades in Scripture. Hades, Hades is like a holding compartment. It is a, a, a sort of hell, a type of hell, where all who have died without faith await the great, wine, uh, great white throne judgment. You'll find that in Revelation chapter 20, the great white throne judgment, um, where Satan and his angels and all the damned will be cast into the lake of fire. That then is the eternal hell. This Hades is a holding compartment uh, most believe still today. Those who are awaiting judgment are awaiting uh, this in a, in a hell type of place named Hades. It's the destiny of all who have sinned. The wages of sin is death, physical death we know, including eternal separation from God. That's the wages of sin. Hell is their wages. Damnation is what people earn through a lifetime of offending a holy and righteous God. That's what is earned through sin. You don't have to be a Pharisee to deserve Hell's judgment, God's judgment in hell. You don't have to be what the, defi- uh, the world defines as evil, uh, whether that would be Hitler or Stalin or some other figure. You don't have to be evil as the world defines it to go to hell. Folks, listen to this. You don't even have to have heard the message of Christ in order to deserve going to hell. You know, sometimes Christians mistake in hell to be a, a, a special place of punishment for those who have rejected the gospel. That's not true. Hell is the punishment for sins. It is the earned punishment for sins. Surely there are many in hell who have rejected the message, the cross of Christ, but hell has swallowed up many more, many more, living in remote parts of the earth, many other locations, who've never even heard of Christ. Why, then, would they go to hell? Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the reason people are condemned. Uh, Everyone who sins deserves hell. We earn hell. It is our wages. And you don't need to, to reject Christ in order to deserve punishment there. Um... We have to remember this because very often we'll share the gospel and, and ask, invite people to receive Christ as their Savior and we'll say, well, you don't want to go to hell, do you? And we will tie it directly to the fact that they reject Christ as Savior and they think to themselves, they process it in saying that, well, they're saying that I have to accept their Savior or I go to hell. Um, true, but it doesn't get to the root of the problem. People earn hell through their sin. You don't get it simply because you reject Christ. Other parts of the world are as guilty as those in the United States. Actually, we're more guilty because we have more information and we've rejected even what we have. Romans 1 assures that man is so spiritually depraved. Do you remember our scripture reading earlier? Jesus didn't entrust himself to any man because he knew what was in man. 
It wasn't good. Man is so spiritually depraved that he or she will not come to know God or acknowledge the evidence of God apart from God's sovereign intervention into their lives. Um, In fact, man even rejects that which he does know about God or what he learns about God from nature. And rather than worshiping God as he is, man chooses to worship those things that God made. Crawling creatures, animals, plants, birds. This is how the, actually how the natives who lived in America before the gospel came across the Atlantic uh, to be shared through missionaries. This is how Native Americans lived at that time. They, they, they worshipped creatively through their minds by what they saw. Plants and animals they, that they imagined and that they worshipped as spirits. That's called animism. By the way, when you assign personality um, and, and personhood, actually divinity, to animals or plants, it, it might have been brought to your attention in, in the last couple weeks, news of a chapel service at Union Theological Seminary in New York. This is a place they held a, a worship service. It was a chapel service where the focus was apologizing to plants for the way that mankind has maltreated them and their environment. Houston, we have a problem. I was going to put up a picture, because they have pictures of that chapel service with them, them with the plants. Then I said, well, Gerald, why don't you just come up and grab that vase over there and, and hold it, and we get the idea. They were apologizing to plants. Folks, this is real. This is real, and it's what the pagan religions do. It's what they've always done. They venerate plants and animals and birds and creeping, crawling creatures rather than worship the God who created them. And and whether you have heard of Christ or whether you've been isolated in the Amazon your whole life, such sinners deserve hell. Everyone is deserving of hell. Um, By God's grace... By his wonderful, amazing grace. And, and through his love and through his, his love for his son and his desire for his son to be glorified. You and I have been granted access to God's truth through the scriptures. We've been given that uh, through God's grace. So had the Pharisees. So had the Pharisees. The concern is, do we actually believe them? We are singing about the Word of God in many different ways this morning. Do we truly believe the Word of God and, and then worship and obey accordingly? I'm going to give you just one example to prime the pump a little bit. Uh, the end of the world is, is not our topic today, by the way. Uh, but if you are a young person who's, who's being disturbed by claims of mass extinction and sudden environmental calamity and death to the planet... Our next chapter, chapter 17, contains some good news for you. We're going to see this in October. Because we're going to learn from Scripture in October that Christ is going to return on a day suddenly, a day like any other day, where people are marrying and giving in marriage, by the way, um, just like any other day. Um, It's going to be a day like any other. Can we trust what the Bible says when it declares that? Can we rest our faith in that day that he comes? Or do we freak out 
every time someone, an activist or another, declares another prophecy of, of how the world is going to come to an end. That's something that we'll talk about uh, next month. Are we going to be emotionally disturbed and thrown into uh, a hysteria, or are we going to trust what the Bible says? Um, young folks, you don't need to worry at this day. What you need to do is trust in God and the Scriptures that reveal His Christ. He told us how it's going to end. God, God has shown us how it's going to end. The problem with the Pharisees is they did not believe the Scriptures. They didn't believe them, Moses, nor the prophets. This is the, the reason, or at least one of the reasons, why the rich man begged Abraham to send Lazarus back to his brothers. Because he now realizes, sitting in Hades, that they had never actually believed what the Scriptures warned. In verse 27, I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that Lazarus may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And when interpreting, in interpreting this passage, it's important to note the Old Testament it doesn't give a precise description of Hades or that hellish experience. It does describe Sheol as a place of the dead. Uh, it offers evidence that the wicked shall surely be separated from God and that they will suffer. But as far as a picture, a picture of a fiery torment for the damned, the Old Testament doesn't provide um, specific information on that. Christ provides that when he comes. Christ explains what damnation uh, will be like, and he does that during his earthly ministry. So when the rich man asked for Lazarus to return to tell his brothers about how awful this place is, it's a sincere request. It's a sincere request. But is a clearer understanding of hell what the brothers needed? Is that what they needed? Do North Koreans or jungle natives or even ancient Native Americans, uh, did they need to simply have a fuller understanding of hell in order to avoid the fate of going there? Would that have prevented them from going there? fact is, no. Just knowing about it won't. In order to escape hell, what they needed was to have in their possession and believe the scriptures that had been written. All of them, by the way, all of the scriptures, not just some. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Uh, this is part of the reason that we, we, we lovingly support Kim Hibbard. Because she, she, as our missionary, goes on a tra Bible translation team. She delivers scriptures in, in the region of India to people who've never had them before in their own language. People need the scriptures in their possession and they need to believe them. Abraham said in verse 29, They have Moses and the prophets. Let your brothers hear them. They didn't need a perfect testimony or description of hell or heaven because Moses and the prophets had never provided one in the Old Testaments. Instead, they needed to believe all that God had said through Moses and the prophets. Things like man is sinful. Things like God is merciful and loving. 
uh, to those who repent of their sins and place their trust in him. Uh, Things like, well, he's going to send someone, uh, a a savior who will uh, redeem people from their sins. And and of course, everything else that is contained in the sacred writings. They needed to believe the body of the scriptural writings. How did the rich man respond to that? Verse 30. But he said, No! Father Abraham! But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Oh, he knows his brothers. He knows because he was one of them. They were all Pharisees. And he realizes they had never believed what the Scriptures say. They never have. This is what Jesus, by the way, has been warning them all about throughout this whole chapter. It's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of the letter of the law to fail. But you guys, Jesus explains, you've repeatedly proven through your behavior, through your actions, that you really don't believe the Word of God at all. They, they, they didn't believe it. They only believed parts of it. The one and only way to, to avoid hell is not through someone returning from the dead to provide more details about it. About how awful it is or whatever other testimony they might give. The way to avoid hell is to believe all that the scriptures have said. Moses and the prophets at this man's point for us, the entire canon of scripture. Do you follow me? We have to believe the book to be, behave, uh, excuse me, be saved from the destruction. We don't need to know a little bit more about hell. We don't need a few more facts about heaven. Evidence of being saved is a wholesome fidelity to the scriptures, an entire fidelity to the scriptures. Um, folks, this is something that only the Holy Spirit can produce in the heart of the believer. Only the Spirit can illumine us to this. One of the greatest frauds, by the way, in Christendom today, it's a claim that you can choose certain portions of the Bible to believe and then we'll just kind of conveniently dismiss other portions. This this is kind of how the Pharisees behaved. A little bit. Um, They treated Scripture how we kind of fill our trays in a cafeteria line. They would say, you know, I believe I'd like a, a spoonful of tithing. Put that on the corner. And, and uh, just a dab of fasting there. Put that right next to that pile of mashed potatoes. Hold off. I'm not really interested in, in any of the, the, the generosity or, or any of the suffering. I, I, I would like to enjoy a literal messianic kingdom when he comes. They, they did believe in a literal reign of the Messiah on earth. But I'm very hungry, so load up the rest of my plate with just a medley of various traditions. Just pile that on. Lots of traditions. The fact that they selectively accepted parts of the Scriptures, but dismissed other parts, gives evidence they in their heart didn't believe any of it. They did not believe the Scriptures. So Jesus had to constantly remind them. He did this time and time again. The Scripture cannot be broken, right? That's John 10.35. I did not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill. 
Or how about this? Until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter of a stroke of the law shall pass away until, until everything's accomplished. So in reaction to the Pharisees preserving the unity of Scripture, cover to cover, it's essential according to Christ. Essential. It's, it's not voluntary. You have to believe the whole Bible. The New Testament amplifies this principle in many locations, many, probably not summarized in a better fashion than, than right in 2 Timothy 3.16, right? All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, right? And, and Paul said to young Timothy, continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from where you have learned them and the fact that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Here, here was the problem plaguing the Pharisees. And in fact, it's the same problem that we encounter today. People do not receive faith by seeing a man raised from the dead. None of us witnessed that miracle of Christ being raised from the dead. Only a select few did. And all of them are long gone. For 1,900 years they've been gone. Instead, we believe Christ's resurrection because we accept the written word of God that teaches us that he rose from the dead. All of our faith is established in the scriptures. So we dare not tear them down. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, right? Always by the word of the Lord. Nobody believes because they've seen something. Do you want to see something fascinating in the Bible? Uh, Even for those who had seen Christ raised, they didn't believe merely because they saw him walking around. They were eyewitnesses. They were genuine eyewitnesses to him walking around. But they believed in exactly the same way that we believe today. Uh, We read this earlier together in uh, John chapter 2. And after purging the temple with a whip of cords, um, the Jews demanded Jesus to show them a sign, right? The wicked and adulterous generation always wanted a sign. They say, what sign do you show us as authority for doing these things? (laughs) And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Did that cause them to believe, by the way, when Jesus raised up, was raised? The Jews then said it took 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But Jesus was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. They believed the word of God that this was for real. Uh, Even the eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection believed not because of what they saw, but due to what had been written in the Scripture. And, And, of course, the words that Christ had spoken to them while they were with him. It's all based on the Word. Our our faith rests entirely on the Word. Magnificent uh, hymn choice today, by the way. Um, Ephesians 1.13 In Christ also, after listening to the message of truth, that is the gospel of your salvation. 
Notice we're talking about Scripture here, the message of truth and the gospel of salvation. Having also believed, you were then sealed in Christ by the Holy Spirit of promise. That's when we're sealed. When we believe the Holy Word of God. Throughout history, no man has ever needed to see anything. All we needed is know what is written. That's a good thing. Good thing that man doesn't have to see anything. It means there's hope for blind people. Lee Pichelle, can I get an amen for that? Amen. You don't have to see anything. You have to hear and believe. That's the way that God uh, saves people. Uh, through us being good witnesses to what His Word says and then magnifying, lifting up Scripture, raising it up before them for them to believe. Um, this is why Abraham responds to the rich man's request. Saying to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let your brothers hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But Abraham said to him, unequivocally now, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone raises from the dead. This is a fact. This is a fact. So Christ's church has no need of miracles. We have no need of signs or wonders. We need to hear the Word of God. That's it. The Word of God. I know of churches who, who claim, you know, we, we have to perform miracles. We have to give people signs. We have to show them something so that then they can believe. No way. No way at, at all. We don't. In fact, this entire passage that we've looked at here over the last three weeks, you know, it ought to put Benny Hinn immediately out of business. You don't need to see miracles. Because faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen, right? And without faith, it is impossible to please God. The Holy Spirit grants us faith entirely through that which is written. The Pharisees did not believe Moses and the prophets and what they had written. Do you? Do we? Do we truly believe what is written? Because this is really where, where the rubber meets the road today. Um, people will claim to believe on Christ for salvation, yet at the same time they will dispute, they will dismiss. Uh, I guess today they would say uh, they cast shade on the balance of Scripture. They'll say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. And then they'll cast shade on near everything else that God has said in the Scriptures. Old and New Testament alike. Folks, doubting the Scriptures, doubting the Bible, is not symptomatic of a work of Christ. Jesus says allegiance to God's Word is symptomatic of a work of Christ and a work of His Spirit. And believing what the Scriptures say is what saves us from hell. And, and according to what we've heard from Christ repeatedly about the Scriptures, it means cover to cover. Genesis all the way through Revelation. Um, folks, this is why we're a Bible church. That, that's the whole reason we're a Bible church and we point people to the Bible. And, and this is why to be a member you need to believe the Bible. And, and we say all of it, all of the Bible, not just part of the Bible. When Genesis chapter 1 says that God created the heavens and the earth, 
and all things in it in six days. It literally means six days. Because when you go into chapters 1, it says morning and evening day 1. Morning and evening day 2. Indicating 24-hour periods. This means that God made all that we see in six literal days. Believing that all that we see evolved over millions and millions of years, that's, that's not characteristic of a regenerated Christian. It's not generally. Hang with me a moment. Because you may have trusted in Christ. Someone might have shared the gospel with you and God might have done a miraculous work in your heart, making you alive to himself and trusted in Jesus and remained confused for a season. There might be a season there you're confused because you never attended a church that taught about or defended Scripture. And we experience this over and over again at this church. Once you show people what Genesis literally says, such as God created every animal according to its kind, or its species, and then honestly and patiently address some basic objections that people have. Um, you know, you, you do that by revealing how the fossil record itself gives no evidence. I talked to two different people last Sunday on this. They brought this question and comments up. It was great. Through revealing how the fossil record supplies no evidence of transitional forms between species. The entire fossil record it gives us evidence of individual species. There's not a constant morphine. They're not shape-shifters. Animals are not shape-shifters over millions of years. We would have fossils of every possible shape if it were so. The fossil record supplies evidence of distinct species. I think it was Angelo who talked last week about a missing link. He goes, you think about between every species, you don't need one missing link. Time Magazine's always like, I think we found the missing link. You would need millions and billions of missing links between every form of animal in order to suggest that evolution is possible. Um, then, expose to people how order never arises out of disorder. Never does. Your kids' toys never make them back into the toy box on their own. They don't. You never get order out of disorder uh, through time, space, or chance. This just leaves no, no room to explain the evolution of the eye, for instance. And for it would have offered no benefit until all parts of the eye had fully formed. It would have just been a useless, useless organ. Uh, yet, all sorts of diverse species, birds and fish and animals and people, all have them fully developed. Answer that one. There's only one answer. God created each according to his kind. And with a little patience, a spirit-indwelt person will virtually always respond, God must have done it then. Did you give them a nod? Hey, that's how it worked. That's how it worked. God created everything in six days. And then when you explain to people that Moses parted the Red Sea and all of Israel walked through on dry land, you know, an unsaved person can't easily accept that. But a spirit-indwelt person says, you know, if God can create everything in six days and form Adam out of the dust, and if he can raise Christ in just three days, then I guess he would have no problem parting the Red Sea, right? 
exactly. You follow me? You can't convince me that you truly believe God raised Christ from the dead, but he can't make a donkey talk. Of course God can make a donkey talk. Or show Noah how to build an ark and flood the earth. Of course God can and has. You either believe it all or you don't. Here's another big one. This is a big one. The church has always defended, both through confession and creed, that Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. The church has, through the centuries, had to deal with objections to that. One of the, one of the earliest objections was by a man named Arius. They called it Arianism. And he did not believe in the eternality of Christ, that Christ existed before he was born. Many today um, believe that Christ was just born naturally, and they're proposing that. Remind me, by the way, we'll, we'll read the Nicene Creed next week before communion again. This has been dealt with. This has been dealt with. Yet, there's false teachers again creeping in who declare Christians don't need to believe the virgin birth. Oh, that's just optional. You don't need to believe Mary was a virgin or that the Holy Spirit uh, conceived Christ in her. What would that suggest? What would that suggest? If Jesus was physically born, the child of Mary and Joseph, what would that imply? That, this is most sinister. Affects his deity, doesn't Jerry? It, it would imply that he's not... God, and if he is just a man born of Joseph and Mary, then he could have never borne all of our sins in his body on the cross. No man, no mortal man could do that. It's essential that we have the divinity of Christ defended. The church has been defending it since the beginning. It is, the virgin birth is an essential doctrine, an essential doctrine for Christianity. That heresy, by the way, comes to you compliments of Andy Stanley. That's a fact. He's saying that, he goes, well, I don't doubt the virgin birth, but he says, I think other people can. You can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. Either you believe it or you don't. He's just trying to avoid being pinned, uh, pinned down with a bad word that starts with an H. And he is teaching falsely that you don't have to believe the entirety of Scripture, Old and New Testament. In fact, he has suggested before, been been, uh, following up some of this, Gerald's run into it in seminary, uh, some of their classes there having discussions. Stanley says, well, you know, you don't need to believe the Old Testament and the New Testament. You just need to kind of unhitch them. Really. And he says you do so that nobody has to be burdened with all these supernatural occurrences that are hard to understand and accept. Folks, beware. Beware. There's lots of this out there. I know it's hard to discuss specific things like this, but Paul did. He talked about Hymenaeus and Alexander and Philetus. He said, beware. Beware of these individuals. The Apostle John in, in 3 John said, Be care of, beware of, not Demetrius, the other one, 
Diotrephes called him out by name and said, Beware of what you see and hear out there. If you believe the Bible says that God made or that Christ is God made flesh, who died for your sins and rose from the dead, that faith is granted to you by the divine. That is that is divine. Therefore, it becomes uh, no obstacle the rest of the Bible. If you can believe Jesus rose from the dead for your sins and that he is God in the flesh, the rest of the Bible, it's all downhill from there. The rest of it shouldn't be a problem. The natural or unsaved man whose heart is unregenerate can't accept the harmony of the Bible. For a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are what? Because they are spiritually discerned or spiritually appraised. You must have the Holy Spirit to understand these things. That's 1 Corinthians 2.14. Why do people continue to reject Scripture? It's because they don't have God's Spirit. And if they do not have God's Spirit, they will not believe even if someone comes back from the dead. One way or the other. Uh, This is why every one of these, these books that you run into uh, talking about people who visited heaven and visited hell, a Christian bookstore we talked about a couple weeks ago, are trying to warn us about things. They're just hoaxes. They're hoaxes. They're, they're unverified claims, which is real easy because you can say, well, I went to heaven last week. How can you disprove it? You know, how could you possibly, you know, if a person says that he, you know, just raised someone from the, the person died and I just raised him from the dead, how, how would you ever be able to disprove that they didn't so they... they they take advantage of that and they market it to people who refuse, the, refuse to believe the Bible uh, so that they'll part ways with their money. As we close, uh, I shared last week how Jesus eventually did raise a man named Lazarus from the dead, different Lazarus. Just a few weeks after he told this story and the rich man said, Send back Lazarus to my brothers if someone goes to them from the dead. Then they will surely repent. Abraham says, no, they won't. No, they won't. And there's such a sense of irony when Jesus actually raises a man named Lazarus from the dead. In fact, many who were believing in Jesus received Lazarus, they said, as a sign from God but not the religious leaders or the Pharisees. John 12.10 says that the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death. The very next day, Jesus rode into Jerusalem, and Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it. As it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at the first not right when they saw it. But when Jesus was glorified, that is after his resurrection, then they remembered the things that were written of him and that they had done these things to him. Again, those who believed believed things that were written. So the people who were with him when Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about Christ. Those men and women who truly believed on Christ that he was raised continued to testify about him, not about signs and wonders, by pointing others to what is written. Let us do the same.
Let's pray. Dear Lord, your word is pure. It is perfect. We know that it guides our every thought. Lord, uh, you've quickened us with your spirit that we would be able to respond to the wonderful things contained in your word. And uh, for that, uh, we can only give you the glory. Lord, as we, we read and you touch us, you remind us, Lord, you, you purify us. It's all due to your spirit and the word. So, Lord, as we um, work to raise our families, as we uh, seek to serve you, and as we go out and witness even, uh, we pray for your spirit, that your spirit must go first and prepare people to receive the word, uh, that we are about to speak to them. And, uh, dear Father, that uh, you would quicken them as well. And that through drawing many people to your precious Son, that uh, you would be glorified and that your Son would be worshipped, Lord. Thank you for your wonderful word, this gospel of Luke, the life that we share in Christ. Amen.